are listening to Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Newark. We're coming to you to bring knowledge and some courage as we voyage through this life as missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jennifer Benke, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with my friend and colleague, Father John Gordon. Hello and welcome to the Heart of the Ark podcast. Today, my guest is Father Paul Hulis. Father Paul is a priest of the Archdiocese of Newark, and he is the chaplain of Holy Cross Cemetery. And I invited him here to speak about evangelization and resolutions and incarnation. So, Father Paul, do you want to pray on this before we begin too much? Absolutely. And just so that Father Mike Barone doesn't smack me, uh, he's the chaplain of Holy Cross. Oh. I'm, I'm the chaplain of Gate of Heaven in, so uh, in East Hanover. No, it's great. We should have some some humor. I don't want to, you know, he's got the he's got the biggest cemetery. I okay. got the second biggest. Okay. Yeah, it's an absolute honor to be here. Thank you so much for being here. It, it really is an honor to have been asked to come here uh, on your podcast. I'm thrilled that you could say yes. So uh, let's pray together before we get too far in this. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord Jesus Christ, send your Holy Spirit into the studio right now so that anything that we speak and converse about may truly draw people to a deeper understanding of the depth of your love and of the dignity of the human person and of the human body. Today, as we celebrate the feast of the conversion of St. Paul, why don't we say uh, the prayer, the colic prayer uh, for the Mass today. Oh God, who taught the whole world through the preaching of the blessed Apostle Paul, draw us, we pray, nearer to you through the example of him whose conversion we celebrate today, and so make us witnesses to your truth in the world. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. St. Paul, one of our best evangelists in the whole history of the church. So. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. He's, I mean, the fact that God used him, somebody that was so vicious against the early Christians and was arresting them and a witness to some of their death, like uh, St. Stephen, and maybe even killing them himself. I'm not exactly sure about that, but the fact that the Lord just intervened the way that he did, and now he's one of the greatest uh, apostles of all time. is absolutely amazing. Yes, absolutely. So I asked you here, Father Paul, uh, now I get it. Uh, now it's he, clicking. There we go. Okay. See, no coincidences. Uh, okay, okay. So I asked you here today, especially because, well, we're in the world of, of digital life. We are living online, and I happen to see that you're also— um, You've made some health resolutions for the new year, and you're doing your best to stick with them. And I'm inspired by you, let me say. Just really? Not inspired to get off the couch yet, but yeah. inspired. <laughs> well, hey, let me tell you, I'm not doing it. I, I, maybe I do a good job of making the resolutions, but I don't do a good job of keeping them. Although uh, I, I have been trying, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's so true. Uh, I believe it's St. Paul that says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah. The spirit, and I think we all recognize that at this time, 
of New Year's resolutions. We have we have a willing spirit, mm-hmm. but the flesh is weak, and we 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 you know. So it's not about being perfect, but it's about not giving up and continuing. So that's just what I'm trying to do, but not perfectly. Of course. Well, I was thinking this morning about some resolutions I've made in the past, and one of them, uh, I when I was working out a lot more and and eating more healthy, I had started a little group called Fit for Divinity, and it was based on a quote from St. Cyril the Great, and I'm going to find it in just a minute. Where did it go? There it is. Okay. He said, Christ does not come secretly nor in a vague way, but as the Lord God, he comes in glory that is fit for divinity to turn everything to the better, renewing the creation and reconstructing the nature of man. Wow. Yeah. I like that fit for divinity. Right. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, there's something to be said about that, because if we talk about the human person made in the image and likeness of God, then, you know, he made us. I mean, think about that for a second. We are made in the image and likeness of God, male and female. He created them. We were from the very beginning fit for divinity. Yes. We were called for that in the garden. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure if we all recognize that, but there is something not that we are not that we are God, not that we are divine, but there's something about us, something about our bodies and our souls that represent that divine mystery. Well, that's another big quote from now that you said bodies and souls. Another big quote from St. Cyril when he's talking about the two natures in one person, right? Because he was at the time of the Arian uh, heresies and everything. He was talking, he was trying to sum up the fact that uh, Christ was body and soul, but two natures in one person, one son. Yeah. Okay. And I, hopefully I'm not committing heresy by trying to explain this, but St. Cyril also says, do we not say that a human being like ourselves is one and his single nature, even though he's not homogeneous, but really composed of two things, I mean, a body and soul, when body and soul are joined together to make a human being, they do not lose their distinctiveness, nor is integrity compromised. At first glance, the analogy seems weak. The union of soul and body brings about a composite being greater than its parts. But in the hypostatic union, the Mm -hmm. divine son remains the divine son, only now enfleshed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that look, that's the mystery of the incarnation. I mean, to try to completely, totally understand it. We'll never be able to completely wrap our our minds about it. But that, yeah, I mean, Christ is truly, truly divine. So the word is eternal, right? The word, the logos is this eternal, invisible thing that not thing, but this person. And St. John's gospel tells us in the prologue that the word became flesh so that this invisible divine person, the word became flesh. So he already existed before all, you know, from all eternity and then took on our human nature, not as if somebody's putting on a coat, but literally became one of us. He didn't lose any of his divinity, but he fully took on our humanity. And, you know, I think we're going to mention something uh, later on about the theology of the body and what that is. Well, John Paul II says that when the word became flesh, uh, the body entered theology right through the main door. Because if you think about what is theology, theology is the study of God, right? And then the body is the body, the our 
biology, our, who we are as male and female. And he says that when the word became flesh, when God became flesh, the body entered theology through the main door. And it, that, that should just give us like it. Just like to show us like who we, who we really are and the union of the, of the soul and the body. We all have an eternal soul and we all have a body that is corruptible, but only because of sin and death. Our bodies are also made for eternity eventually. That's what we believe when we say that we believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. One day, please God, in heaven, all those eternal souls that are in heaven right now will be reunited with their bodies, their glorified bodies. This is why the body matters. Matters. Right. So, so th- that's, that's my two cents on that. I love that. And I, this, so that's why I want to kind of talk about this, because this, like you said, we said at the beginning, this is the time of year when people make resolutions and we're thinking about the body a little bit more and then ha- ha- what uh, choices we made that we want to change from last year and particularly in my uh, estimation, my my cookie, my Christmas cookie habit. Mm. So <laughs> gingerbread man. Uh, yes. Gingerbread and yummy and pfeffernuss and all sorts of uh, German the, cookies. Yeah. Oh, OK. Uh, so I haven't had a spritz. Fe- a spritz. Yeah. OK. I haven't had a pfeffernuss. I, uh, okay. Maybe you can give me a couple. So in the in this way, I want to kind of talk about the importance of bodies as we start the year, especially we just marked the first pro-life march, the March for Life, after the repeal of Roe v. Wade. And I know that you were also, because I follow you on social media. That as you, I follow you. <laughs> that you were down in Washington, D.C. So talk to me about that or and, and, and how you see the dignity of the person. No, I'm so honored that you had me and to ask me about this. Yeah, it was the first ever post-Roe march. And it was absolutely amazing. And to be completely honest with you, I didn't really want to go because I thought, well, why are we going to Washington? They already passed, the, uh, you know, it's overturned. So now we need to focus on the states. And I'm so grateful that I went. I'm so grateful that I went because it was a, a, a celebratory march. People were there to celebrate, to say thank you, not to push it in anybody's face, but and also the work isn't done. So it was a celebratory march, but the work isn't done. And so why do people go to Washington? Why are people, you know, marching for life, for, for the protection of the child in the womb or for any human being from conceptual to natural death? And, and here's the thing. It's not because we're just trying to fight for a political issue, but literally just life, human life. So if it is true that you and I and every human being on the face of this earth was made in the image and likeness of God, which means that your life, that your body, that your soul in some way represents the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like, whoa, then then when we destroy life, we're destroying not just mere human flesh, but also divine life. We're destroying images of God's. We're destroying God's children because we are, uh, I, I don't know much Latin. I often joke that I only know pig Latin, you know, but what, what is it about the human person has the... Um, imago Dei. Oh, thank you. Yes, the Imago Dei and the, uh, with the C, it's the Capato uh, Dei, the capacity of God. Mm-hmm. The you and I, I mean, look, all of creation, we can see something about God and everything in the mountains and the ocean, in the stars. But the human being, the only, the only creation of God that was made actually in his image and likeness. So 
we have to not just fight for life, but pray for life, protect life, because it, it has so much to do with not just this this organism that is a result of evolution, but this actual creation of the eternal love in God. So that's why we fight for life. Absolutely. And I love that you also said, like, from from womb to tomb, right? We have this this consistent life. Of, I love of, that. Yeah. You know, Thanks for saying that. No, no, that's okay. And and uh, Cardinal Tobin, in his most recent uh, message, just said, you know, every life at every stage, even the things that also polarize us, like capital punishment and policing of bodies, all these all these ways in which we uh, strip people of their humanity. So this this importance of really like looking at people <laughs> and recognizing Christ in everyone. Yeah. And and that capacity for God in yeah, everyone. Yeah, we all do every human being, not just the child in the womb. You know, obviously that's where, you know, they ha- literally have zero voice and they're the most vulnerable and defenseless, but it's every human being regardless of their situation, their race, what country they're in, you know, I mean there's people that are being, you know, slaughtered in other countries, mass genocide. We should care about them just as much. Absolutely. 100%. So it's it's all the vulnerable. Uh, every human being, every single one yeah. is made in his image and likeness. Yeah. And you know this from one of our ministries together that I, I lost a child uh, to stillbirth in the womb. And at that moment, I was so overwhelmed with, you know, there were certain people that were coming to me and saying, oh, well, thank God it happened before, you know, like all these stupid things that they say at the wrong time. And that's okay. People don't know what to say. So they say stupid things and they don't think, or, or they just don't know what to say, but to fill the space, they say something. I, as uh, if that wasn't your baby before it was born. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, it occurred to me, I, I, that just because we can't touch the stars, we don't doubt that they're real. And just like that, it's not just an idea that life begins in the womb. It's a, a real fact that we know and we can name and we can see that these things are real. And it's it's God just just the way God is in a in a star in through a telescope. Mm. He's on an ultrasound. Like we know these things yeah. to be true, whether other folks see it that way or not. So I just I don't know. Maybe I'll cut that out too. No, it's powerful. <laughs> but yeah, no, because just because they might not be able to see your child or touch your child because it's still in the womb, it's still there. It's still right. very much there. So yeah, I do like that analogy. I mean, we can't, we might be able to see the stars, but we can't touch it, right. you know? Um, and even what we see of it is, you know, just like a, a fraction of what it actually is. I mean, light years away. But I understand the, the analogy that, that you're getting to. And that's unfortunate because just because we might not be able to see and touch it, uh, it's it's still very much there. It's still very much alive. Yes. So you touched on this before. And talk to me about this term that you just re- uh, referred to as the theology of the body. And what does that mean in practice in life? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And it's one of my favorite things that, to talk about in the whole world. And I'm, I'm not an expert on it. In short, the theology of the body is 
St. John Paul II's first major papal teaching, major catechesis of his pontificate. So every single, almost every Wednesday uh, for the first five years of his pontificate, uh, there were some major breaks and stuff like that because he was, you know, the assassination attempt and everything. But basically is that he set out to speak about the dignity of the human being, body and soul, the, the absolute uh, truth of what it means to be a person. So again, theology of the body, the study of God of and having to do with the body. What does the body have to do with theology? What does theology have to do with the body? And as I already said, it has everything to do with it because not only were you and I made in the image and likeness of God, but God himself became a body. Right. God himself became a body because God is pure spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit exists outside of time, but he entered into time, into space and took on our human flesh, which is what we celebrate at the Annunciation nine months before Christmas and then on Christmas Day. It's not just the birth. It's also he became flesh in the womb, in the in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Also celebrated at the Feast of the Presentation next week. Which, Amen. Yeah, which is why we'll close with the, the prayer of Simeon from that moment. Amen. Amen. And um, so anyway, so uh, not a lot of people know this, but before John Paul II was um, named Pope, he actually wrote this as a book that he was going to publish as the, um, when he was the Cardinal in, in Krakow. But then when he became the Pope, at that time, Popes weren't releasing uh, books. So he made it a major part of his, his catechesis. And really, it goes out to be like a commentary because ni- in 1968, Pope Paul VI uh, dropped what many see as like a bombshell encyclical Humanae Vitae, which a lot of people refer to as, you know, the contraception encyclical, but it's really, if you, the, the, the name of the encyclical in English means of human life. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing of human life. And it was very, very beautiful, very short, but John Paul II felt like there needed to be more of an explanation of why. So Pope Paul VI did a great job, but John Paul II wanted to give it a commentary on it. So that's so... It's, it's, Theology of the Body was meant to be a commentary on Humanae Vitae, but out of 129 different talks on the Theology of the Body that John Paul II did, out of 129, only like the last like 30-something are actually about Humanae Vitae, because in order to talk about human life, you have to go back to the very beginning. So it's really this beautiful teaching on the anthropology of man and woman, meaning the study of man, the study of the woman, who we are. So if you want to know something about the the Christian view, the Christian anthropology, the Christian study of humanity on man and woman, it's there in the theology of the body. It's his theological explanation, because in the 1950s, he wrote a philosophical work called Love and Responsibility, which is really a philosophical explanation of man and woman. And then theology of the body is a theological explanation of man and woman made in the image and likeness of God. But let me tell you something. The theology of the body has changed my life. It changed the way that I viewed man and woman on, on, on areas of sexuality and just of who I am. Some people think that the theology of the body, oh, that's like just a good, like, you know, Catholic sexual teaching thing of theology. It's like, no, 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 no. No, it's not just a, a chastity thing or a, a, like a thing for married people. If you have a body, then the theology of the body is for every body, is for you. And it's, it's just so beautiful that, that tries to help get us see what does it mean to be 
a human being? What does it mean to have a body? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? What does it mean to have a masculine body? What does it mean to have a feminine body? I mean, there are things in our, God stamped his image of us because you can't see God. But if, but if he created us in his image and likeness, then something about the male body, something about the female body, and something about their call to communion and fruitfulness reveals to us his invisible mystery. So God has this invisible mystery from all eternity that he made visible in and through the human body. If you think about it, a man's body by itself, a man's body completely by itself doesn't make sense. A female's body by itself doesn't make sense. Complete, But in seen in light of each other, they, they make complete perfect sense, and they are literally meant for each other. Mm. doesn't mean that every single person is is meant for marriage. or any, Obviously, I'm a celibate, right? And that's a whole other thing. But we would say that God's call to union and fruitfulness from the very beginning is the first sign, as John Paul II would call it, the primordial sacrament. The first sac- Even before there was such thing as a sacrament, it was the first sacrament in the sense that a sacrament is a visible, physical expression of this invisible divine reality because God is union and fruitfulness. He is free, total, faithful, fruitful. And that is what he called man and woman to from the very beginning. So it tackles there in the first chapter of Genesis right there. Yeah. It it tackles so many things. There's no way we could talk about. I mean, it took John Paul II five years and we have like, you know, (laughs) a half hour. Um, But it, it tackles so many questions. And yes, it gets into the whole sexuality thing. Because think about it. Male and women, that's, that's our sex. Mm-hmm. Right? Sex is a noun before it's a verb. Right. It's who we are before what we do. So yes, it gets into all that stuff. And it changed my life. When I was a kid just growing up on MTV and HBO and listening to all this stuff that was just everything was in my face, all this you know lust and our culture is so pornified. And gave me one vision of what it was to be a man or a woman and what sex was meant for. But this theology of the body, he opened my eyes, dropped the scales like St. Paul, whose conversion today to let me see, Oh, this is, this is what we're made for. This is what that means. So it's, it's just a beautiful explanation of, of the meaning of our bodies and our souls. Thank you. I'm still a brand new in learning theology. I'm, I'm working on my master's degree and we haven't gotten there yet. So I'm only my second so- semester. Hey, well. So at, I'm in church, liturgy, and sacraments this time. Oh, right. Awesome. Prayers for you. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. The idea of first sacrament of our bodies is really important because it, it brings us to the greatest of yeah. the, the fullness of the greatest body. Yeah. In that uh, offering of the altar of the Eucharist. And Amen. Just, you know. I think I said this, I had an experience recently where I was going through something a little bit difficult and I got a little turned around and I just, you know, it, I saw the word chapel in front of me and I just kind of walked in and in the very back corner, it said, blessed sacrament. And I walked in, turned the corner and just fell like a toddler at the knees of the monstrance. And it was just like overwhelmed that like, he's right there. He's right there for us. And that's the amazing thing about the incarnation that God entered time in the body of the person of Jesus Christ. He, he entered our time, but then when he left us himself at the altar, he's in every time he's in every now he's, he's right now. And he's, he's always now. Mm. And 
So for me, that's just so consoling. He's even in our in our broken bodies, in our broken spirits. He's he's been everywhere we go. He's already been there. Yeah. So it's just it's very important to me to, to uh, that uh, that I had that moment of just falling like a toddler. I, I can't even describe it. I was like, you know, when you see a toddler uh, out of kindergarten and they're so excited and overwhelmed with how brave they were and they just run to their mom and burst into tears. It was like that's the feeling that I welled up inside me when I was just like running to the blessed sacrament. Like, I did it. I got through it. Please. Yeah. yeah I mean, you had an encounter with divine love in the flesh. Yeah. In the flesh, that that's him. That the Eucharist. I mean, the source and summit of our faith. He is the body of Christ, but body, blood, soul, and divinity, right there. So I mean, and and then you know you were talking about in 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 adoration, or he's there in the monstrance, uh, where he's totally present. But then think about during the mass, we that body of Christ goes in our body, right? And then he stays with us. Unreal. Yeah. Unbelievable. Talk about a mago day. Right. Talk about the, the the capacity for God. He's in our body and our soul. I mean, the Eucharist is, the catechism says this, it's a nuptial mystery. It is a nuptial mystery in that we are wedded to Christ mm-hmm. and he is wedded to us. Unbelievable. Yeah, I was just reading and, and like I said, I'm, I'm taking this class. And so I'm also looking at not just the Roman rite, but I'm looking at kind of dabbling in some Orthodox reading and whatever. And the... Um, the liturgy for Holy Week begins in the Orthodox reading with uh, the the Vespers are called the bridegroom, the or, or sorry the bridal chamber Vespers. Yeah. And so it it's um, I'm called to the bridal chamber, but I've my garment I don't have the right garment, and so give me the new garments that I may approach my. Mm. You know, and that was just you know what you just said is just you know these. Uh, moments of personal encounter and clothing ourselves in righteousness. We use all these words of, of being clothed in white garments the, as the saints are in the kingdom. You know, like they, they're moments of really talking about our bodies in yeah. a way that are divine. So it brings us back to that. We are fit for divinity. And he's, yeah. he's calling our broken humanity to his divinity. Yeah. Yeah, and our so you just said our broken humanity, and yet he allows himself to be broken for us. Yeah. He's not the only, we're not the only ones that were broken. Not that he's not perfect, because he is, but he humbled himself so much that he allowed himself to be broken and, and is broken at every mass mm-hmm. when we break the bread and then share him. He became vulnerable too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you just gave me something to think about that I never really thought about before. Okay. That's good. And there's that, those images of him breaking into us, right? Yeah. We are, or we are broken vessel and he pours himself in and then we're made whole again, right? Yeah. So. Unreal. The mass is... Because so many people think the mass is boring. I mean, I know. <laughs> I mean, with divinity. We are we are being filled with God. Right. Filled with God in the flesh, in our flesh, broken and and unbroken. I don't know. I just feel like that's like a, a nice poetry thing to say. I have no idea. Broken and unbroken. Isn't that like a part of a song? I don't know. Cut that out. So. Well, there's a lot of songs about you know Christ has no body now but yours. That's mm. that's, that's a Saint Teresa of Avila. Yeah, well, I hope I, that. I'm, I mean, I'm sure that. He didn't have a belly like I do, but we'll try to work that out as I get fit for divinity. (laughs) That's right. Well, 
you have to come by my office before you leave and see my crucifix because I have a chunky Jesus on my crucifix. Really? Yeah, and I always figure that like gives me hope. There you go. I can't wait. That, that, I think I'm going to want that crucifix. Exactly. Holy cow. I mean, he must have ate really good at the Last Supper then. <laughs> <laughs> but think about that. The crucifix, we see the corpus of Christ, the yes. body of Christ. Yes. And think about his resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection. You know, it wasn't just a resurrection of his spirit. It was a bodily. And then he ascended bodily. So you want to talk about theology of the body, just follow theology that it is Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Before we go, how do we incorporate the things that we talked about today in your in your everyday life or your daily life, that type of thing? Yeah, it's a good question. It's not perfect. I think first and foremost, like Mary, we need to be. Uh, yeah, I want to. I, I I'll end this by by talking about the difference between the the Marian dimension of the church and the Petrine dimension of the church. So there's two dimensions that the Catechism talks about, and the Marian dimension is more of being open and receptive, of you know because that's what she was. She was completely open. She was completely receptive. Not that she wasn't ever on mission, actively doing things, but that's what we mean. So the and then there's the Petrine, like right Peter. So you going out and making disciples, going and teaching and sanctifying. So I would say that before we even ever dare to just do something, to go out to, whether it's to better ourselves or to better other people, we need to first be like Mary and be open and be receptive and meaning prayer, everything we take to prayer. So pray, 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 and pray, be open, 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 pray about what you want to do, invite the Lord with you, invite the Lord Jesus into what you want to do, tell him your plans, but say, thy will, not mine, be done. Let your plans be my plans. And then we go. So sit first in contemplation, be like Mary and receive, 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 and then go like Peter and go do, do, do. But always start with prayer first. I wouldn't be the minister in the different ways that I minister. I wouldn't be a minister and I wouldn't feel comfortable ministering unless I had my spiritual house in order in terms of prayer, because mm. everything that I do comes from prayer first. I can't do anything without him. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> he gives me the strength to do everything. Yeah, so, literally. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be offering myself, which you, you're not going to want. No, so exactly. <laughs> exactly. Same, same. So, yeah, I just I think that um, really just going to prayer and and especially for anyone who who needs a little push, I will admit in here in the process of, of a priest that it took me a long time to go back to the confessional, mm. but I cannot stress how uh, much of a personal conversion and a grace and a healing moment that is. So if that's something that's weighing on your heart, just go, just go to confession and get your, get your prayer life back in order by, by asking for help. Yeah, because Christ is the only one who can heal you back up. So in our brokenness, let him in. There's a lot of healing that happens in that sacrament of confession. It is literally a sacrament of healing. There's two sacraments of healing. We usually just think of the anointing, but confession is also the other sacrament of healing. So I, I cannot agree with you more. Yeah, yeah. And when you're in that state of grace and when you are receptive to to that healing, then going and receiving the Eucharist is also a healing sacrament. Yeah. Indispensable. Yeah. 100%. I, I believe it was John Paul II that said that uh, the three indispensables for living the Christian life is prayer, 
the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of the Eucharist. Without those three, impossible. Yeah. Prayer, sacrament of reconciliation, and the Eucharist. Um, that's how we live it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. One last prayer that I mentioned at the beginning Amen. Was, uh, with Simeon. So you'll remember that presentation of Mary had to go back to herself be purified and to bring the child to the temple. It's not just about bringing the child Jesus to the temple. It's about the purification of Mary through the, the Jewish rites of purification post-delivery. Mm. Post, uh, so they went and Simeon and Anna were there and Simeon declared the nunc dimittis. It's been, the canticle of Simeon's been used at Compline since the 4th century. So it comes from Luke chapter 2, 29 through 31. And so we will say, now dismiss thy servant, O Lord, in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes hath seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the sight of the peoples, a light to reveal thee to the nations, and the glory of thy people Israel. Amen. 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 Thanks for that. That's what he said when he saw the baby Jesus. Yeah. Right in body. Christ in 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 his body. Yeah. We end every the church ends its night its day with with those words. Yep. Wow, beautiful. Thanks for that. Thank you, Father. This has been an episode of The Heart of the Ark. I really appreciate you coming on and speaking with me today. I love the title, Heart of the Ark. Well, good. It's beautiful. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me here. And uh, God bless you with everything that you're doing for the Office of Evangelization of the Archdiocese of Newark. For our listeners, Father Paul has his own podcast, which you can find on A Holy Mess. With, right? Yes, a holy mess with his holy mess. I am not his holiness. I am his holy mess. Uh, so that's truly a thing. So yeah, thank you for saying that. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And um, so I'm glad that we can support each other. Absolutely. So I'll be linking to your podcast in our podcast. And for everybody else, we'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless you. Heart of the Ark podcast is an initiative by the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. If you want to find us online, you can find us at rcan.org slash evangelization. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Very soon we'll be updating our social media for the Heart of the Ark, but you can find us on Fireside Podcasts at Heart of the Ark. Fireside.fm. Our theme song is composed by and orchestrated by Eric Hunter, a dear friend of mine. You can find out more about Eric and his performances and compositions at Eric, E R I C, Hunter, H U N T E R, music.com. This has been a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you in the future.